0: This is the Strength Anchor Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. All right, Mr. Bain, here we are, episode 70. Yes. And Mr. Bain is remote. Working yes. a remote. I guess it's like you're back in the pandemic, huh?
1: We're, we're in a, a remote forward pa- podcast now.
0: Yep. So Mr. Bain is in a location <laughs> undisclosed, not at 2.0. Uh,
1: in,
0: in Rochester, New York. Oh, okay. I didn't know if you were supposed to say where you were or not.
1: I don't know. Uh, I, I don't give a shit. Yeah, I mean, t- technically it's Victor, New York is where I'm at. But
0: Okay. Uh, Mr. Yeah. Bain is remote, but uh, we've been, you know, I've had a lot going on this month, so we're trying to find a time that meets both of our schedules, and tonight worked, so uh, before we get into our devil's advocate of the so night, the fuck, do it live. Um, let's tie up some loose ends from past episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, follow up from the Carol, uh, follow up from the 1020 Life episode, a Carol interview is definitely mm-hmm. on the way, He, I think he's principally agreed, I think we just have to kind of set a time um, yep. So I think it'll be a good follow-up to both that episode and our Gift of Injury episode um, that we Agreed. did a while back. Um, I talked to actually some youngins this weekend. Um, you know how you mm-hmm. kind of talked about how, hey, if you're one of those Larry Wheels disciples, maybe you should find another Jesus. And I, yeah. talk, I talked to one of those boys this weekend.
1: Yeah, um, and what did he say about his Lord and Savior?
0: He said he had no idea about any of that stuff about Larry Wheels. Oh, look at, look at that. Yeah. So, um, Crazy. we told him to find a new Jesus, a new powerlifting Jesus. Actually, there was a kid this weekend <laughs> on our girl, uh, Marissa's powerlifting team that, uh, she said kind of looks like Jesus. He kind of does nice. a white Jesus, you know, like a very white Jesus. Um, oh,
1: gotcha. Um, so, so definitely we, a savior for everybody.
0: So, yeah, we said maybe he should change his Instagram handle. His name is Jake, by the way, Jake the Snake from Mac- McKendree University. Uh, I, said oh, he wow. should, I said he should change his Instagram handle to at powerlifting hey Zeus and like spell out H A Y like maybe <laughs> underscore Z
1: E U S hey Zeus I, I like it I like it
0: um what what else you got for uh, for loose ends Mr Bain
1: uh pretty cool you know the the whole spotting thing is you know folks know that that's one of the things that I do. And uh, the spot in love is, is getting around the world. I actually, had uh, had somebody reach out and uh, they were put in the position to be a back spotter at a meet in Australia, uh, which is really cool. And they're, they were they're asked allowed, they're allowed
0: to leave their house. Uh,
1: I'm not sure if they're allowed to leave it. They just had to meet, so who knows? It was in a warehouse. Uh, maybe it's not in Victoria, where you know they're beating civilians uh, randomly. Uh, but that was pretty dope. They they asked for some pointers on, on what to look for and specifically around lifters who maybe have a, a much narrower hand stance on the bar. Uh, cause it's a little tougher to kind of get, uh, around them and make sure the judges can still see. Sure. So, so no, it was, it was, uh, was cool that, uh, we're seeing folks that are, uh, very excited to help out, uh, at meets, you know, that kind of stemmed from our, uh, our episode about, uh, helping out at powerlifting meets and, and why we do it. And so I think people are, uh, are taking to that. So pretty, uh, pretty exciting stuff. Cool. Other than that, Mr. Bain, what's going on? well as you already mentioned i'm i'm remote i'm here in new york uh flew in last night and uh we're doing a big implementation for a uh, client that i work with in my professional life and uh it's uh it's it's going uh on a scale of one to ten one being you know complete shit show ten being great uh probably a solid five uh okay. so it's it's definitely yeah it's it's interesting that's a whole story for a different podcast uh but yeah is going well we uh we Pretty sure we found a bench opener for uh, for the Midwest Equip, so feeling good about that, and should have a good idea of where my squad opener should be uh, this coming Sunday. So, uh, getting getting pretty real here, kind of kind of scary, just to be very transparent about that, but uh, very excited for that. So Stone, what is going on with you?
0: Um, you know, we haven't really had an episode since AWPC Worlds. Um, Yeah. You know, we're a couple weeks out, and we we recorded that episode prior to Worlds, so very proud of everybody from Two XL and Team Stone on their recent performances at uh, a. AJPC Worlds, as well as this past weekend, as of this recording, um, I was at a US Apple meet, believe it or not. Ew. Um, um, <clears throat> but uh, rewinding back to AJPC Worlds, my wife, Jackie, you know, first time lifting in the 198s in literally mm-hmm. probably, I think, 12, 11, 12 years. Yeah, 11, 12 yeah. years. Um, and even then, she did a hard cut to make 198. So mm-hmm. it's probably been a very long time since she just basically weighed in at 198. Um mm-hmm. Uh, Stace Mula Squatted 600 You know Had an excellent day Um, My client David uh, Had a nice Squat PR Nice total PR Um, Our buddy Baby Bane Timor Which we'll talk about In a second Um, He had a nice uh, Bench And squat PR um, Mm -hmm. Had a nice meet uh, Samok my buddy, came back from college and had a good meet. Uh, he needs yeah, to...
1: minion m- m- crew was almost assembled. He needs to eat, so uh, that'll
0: be on his new program. Is eating. Um,
1: who we, you do You just want
0: to give him my number, like I'll
1: help him with this. Yeah,
0: he'd have to hang out with you. Is the problem?
1: Uh, ah, that is that is the issue. Yeah,
0: my my buddy uh, Georgie, not on the gram, had two PRs bench and deadlift. Um, he was called to uh, to firefighting wedding duty, so he did not do full power. Um, did we have Am I missing somebody from Team Stone that did Worlds?
1: Uh, uh, so uh, Lily did take a back seat, so she was not there. Uh, think. Jack, yeah.
0: Jackie, Stacy, Samok, David, Timor. Um,
1: and yeah, Marissa had her meet later, so now I think that is it for Team Stone.
0: Yeah, so uh, Marissa, who was uh, the trio of Team Minion, um, mm-hmm. she competed at her first collegiate meet. Um, mm-hmm. At the USAPL Legacy Series Championship meet, I guess in St. Louis, mm-hmm. um, that was in St. Louis, and uh, she had kind of a situation where her coach Guillermo Blanco, who you and I both know well, um, yeah. he got a a pretty uh, good opportunity for a new job, um, and mm-hmm. you know, kind of had to take it. So, uh, and
1: for, had to go fairly quickly.
0: <laughs> yeah, it had to go very quickly, and you know, props to him for getting a new job. Um, sounds like it's a, it's a great opportunity for him. Unfortunately for the athletes at McKendree, um, they did not have a coach and <clears throat> Marissa being equipped, especially, um, no one else there lifts equipped. I know. Obviously Guillermo did and knows equipped. Um, but <clears throat> she was kind of left without anybody to help her handle her. as we, we've kind of talked about before, like even less so than a coach or even more so than a coach at equipped meets, you'd really need a handler. Like even right. if they don't, even if they aren't your coach, you need somebody wrapping your knees, setting your suit, setting your shirt, handing off to you, those kind of things, although I couldn't hand off to her. That's another story. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, but, yeah, so I, I went down to handling Coach Marissa. She did very well. Um, it, Seven for nine, right? Yeah. You know, uh, so, so we'll get into that in fake news. Um, she missed her oh, last boy. two benches. Oh, okay. um, But, you know, interesting USAPL meet, um, you know, I, I experienced the uh, a similar program that you had experience with um, that I'm some aspects I life, like other aspects I do not like um, lifting cast um, there mm-hmm. are, there are aspects of it I do like and then there are aspects the fact that it runs through the internet that I do not like um so if they it, run out of internet I, I Presumably, yes. Presumably, the internet <laughs> was was not running optimally there at times. Um, but you know, uh, I, all of her team did really well. Um, so McAndrew yeah. had a nice day. She had a nice day. Um, some interesting uh, observations from uh, uh, being at the U.S. Apple meet. Um, Please share the class. Uh, you know, I, I would say the warm up room was not quite as we'll say friendly as at I would I have experienced at APF meets. You mean um, the atmosphere of the
1: warm-up room or, like, the people themselves or all of the above? Uh, I, I,
0: I guess the friendliness of the people. <laughs> um, huh, imagine that.
1: Uh, college I've, kids.
0: Y- it was college kids, to be fair. So it wasn't an average – you know, it was a lot of college kids in the early session. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'll get into my fake news on uh, the equipment, so I don't want to go into that too much. But I talked about lifting casts. There are aspects of that I like the fact that you can – follow it online on your phone and mm. the lights are built into the scoring program um, but the problem is that program relies on the internet so right. if the internet's slow you're waiting for the lights or they're not working um, which is suboptimal we'll say
1: or they get disconnected
0: right so I like mm-hmm. our Bluetooth system which is also wireless I like our Bluetooth system better um, but there are aspects yeah. of that I like. Um but overall it was I mean it, you know it was a efficient meet. We started the lifting at eleven and that was done by three. Um so gotta was, give them. That. It was uh it was very efficient and quick. Um they had some nice awards. Um and yeah, like I said, Marissa's team did did well. Um uh, I'll get into some more of it when we get into our fake news. Um but Mr. <laughs> Bain, what is Listen,
1: You fake news, you fake news. Uh school security is fake news.
0: Oh boy, I, so, I have a feeling there's a specific anecdote related to this.
1: Yeah, so I have now been informed that school security can actually do nothing with a child. Now, generally speaking, that sounds good. However, here's is my issue with this if a child decides that they want to leave a classroom, whether it is something legitimate like they're going to the bathroom, they have to go to uh, another room for something you know they you know special services they're receiving, what have you They don't have to ever go back. They can actually be found wandering the halls. Sometimes packs of wild students wandering the halls of various high schools and middle schools. And security can do nothing. There is no punishment. There is no reprimand. There is nothing. This bugs the living fuck out of me for a variety of reasons.
0: I'll have to say, my wife is an administrator at a school. I don't Mm -hmm. think that's accurate for her school.
1: Here's what I have observed that students can leave specifically one student who I know very, very well. And the student and these students are not pursued in any way. They, they are known to be those who decide to be truant and nothing is done. There's no ramifications from the school. The parents are not told until after the fact, there's nothing they can do in real time. And it's just mind boggling to me that then when it's discussed the security personnel, whether they are the school resource officer, they are private, uh, you know, volunteer, whomsoever is like, Oh yeah, we sell. And? And what is the answer? Uh,
0: Blows I w- my mind. I would assume if you have a student not in class, you can write them up.
1: The response was, and what? Yikes. Big yikes. So, yeah, that is fucking fake news. Stone, what is? Fake news, very wrong, very fake. Fake news. Fake, fake news. Fake, fake news news
0: um alico racks are fake news and alico racks (laughs) suck to quote (laughs) vince mcmahon um and their bench pad sucks too um i do like their collars i actually just bought two sets of alico collars because they are the best competition collars i have found thus far
1: they they really are like the 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 turkey ones they really are the best ones out there
0: they're they're very good i so i props to your collars i bought i have three sets (laughs) of them um the racks are garbage Um, They are so lightweight that our buddy Timor literally Mm -hmm. could pick them up by himself, like without any trouble. Uh, Yikes. the, The bench pad is about, I would say, a third of the thickness of the bench pads that we have on our Elite FTS benches. And it is about as slippery as a bench pad that you would find at a commercial gym. And so our girl Marissa missed her last two benches. And I would say part of it's because, uh, her training has maybe not been as good as it could have been. She's sure. been put in an environment where nobody else knows equipped, and that's especially in a shirt, that is going to be challenging. Oh, yeah. Uh, and learning a shirt is challenging in and of itself. Um, but on her second bench, she set up, and I told her to really drive her traps into the bench. At the press command, her shoulders just slipped back towards Yikes. her head. Um, and I think primarily bec- – you know what? I should have chalked her, her shoulders – but on mm-hmm. a non-slip bench pad, traditionally, you actually don't want to chalk your shoulders. because yeah, it will cause more slipperiness. Because it will – yeah, it will cause more slipperiness. So we actually, like on our bench cover, you don't want to necessarily use chalk because you'll dig into it without. Um, on this bench pad, you needed it. So I chalked her back on her third, but I think after basically getting buried on her second, um, she just didn't have any juice left in the tank. Um, on the other hand, I saw a Rogue combo rack, and I will say – Um, I appreciate, from a meat director's perspective, the simplicity and the uniformity of having one rack for bench, for squat, take it off, platform for deadlift. Um, But if that's the rack you're using, I don't like it. Now, I saw Mm -hmm. the Rogue Combo Rack, which I'm fairly certain is USAPL IPF approved, right? Because don't they use Mm -hmm. that at the Arnold? I believe so. Okay, the Rogue Combo Rack is literally a tank. Like, that thing is super solid, uh, weighs... Over 500
1: pounds, you could not move very it. Very solid, very heavy, very amazing.
0: Not only that, but it had basically a legal Thompson fat pad on it. So it was not illegally wide like a Thompson fat pad is, um, mm-hmm. but it was that type of material. It was that type of thickness. That's an excellent piece of equipment, and it, should, and it should have been on the platform,
1: um, in my well, opinion. Unfortunately, I saw the spotters, and this is nothing against Timor. Um, that's probably why, because those guys couldn't even handle that.
0: Yeah, uh, that's a whole other story for another day. But let's say that uh, my boy Timor came down with me to the meet, and mm-hmm. uh, he volunteered to spot and load because he, mm-hmm. he wanted to. I would say he yep. was probably the most experienced spotter there at, in the early session.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, we'll we'll just and leave it.
1: Sa- and, and we'll say his experience as a spotter, vastly unique compared to the others. Yep, yep. Uh, so we'll leave, we'll
0: leave it at that on that, but uh, I don't like the Elico racks. I do like their their plates are nice, um, very expensive. Yeah. Uh, their collars are nice. Their rack and bench don't like it at all. Um, <laughs> let's move on to our hot topic. Um, and this is yeah, this is this is a little bit old. I know it. I think believe it, it happened last week, but. Uh, I remember seeing this last week, and I think I wanted to put it in our hot topic. We didn't get to record an episode last week. But Jen Thompson, um, very famous USAPL, IPF. I mean, she's a full power lifter, but most famous for her bench. Um, I mean, she might be one of
1: the most famous raw benchers of all time.
0: She, again, for context, if you don't know Jen Thompson, she's on Instagram. She might be one of the best female benchers raw and equipped, maybe male or female of all
1: time. I I mean, mean, yeah, like. Unbelievable. Bencher.
0: I mean, she's a historically great bencher um, and, and lifter in general, but specifically in bench. Um, <coughs> she had a deleted Instagram post where it had her doing, I'm not sure, like a three or four board press with a bench block and mm-hmm. basically comparing it to a lifter, IPF lifter, that had a huge arch and saying, hmm, I wonder what I could do if I had an arch like that.
1: Um, and it was yeah. like a three so board basically going like full, like full Jim Bro argument at
0: this mm-hmm. call. Um No. Questions, does she have a point? Was it in poor taste? She definitely got a lot of flack from fellow pe- female powerlifters to the point where she
1: deleted the post. Um, Correct. Bane, thoughts? So I had a conversation with about three or four female lifters, fairly prominent ones. I did not ask their permission to name them because they, they are fairly well known around powerlifting. So I will not name them on this episode, though on our, uh, I will ask their permission if I could use their names on our loose ends for the next episode. Okay. spoke to them specifically about this, and I have never personally had a great feeling about Jen Thompson. I think she's a great athlete. I just don't necessarily think she's uh, a very approachable or uh, genuinely nice person from my experiences just observing her, always from afar, so to be very, very clear on that. Her fallback was dog shit. She removed that post and tried to claim, oh, I was just trying to generate conversation. No, you were being an asshole. You were trying to diminish the accomplishments of somebody else. And I'll say this straight out. If somebody wants to chop this, send it to Jen, I'll argue with her until we are both blue in the face. She was intentionally trying to degrade another lifter's accomplishment by saying, oh, I wonder what I could do. Well, then just work on your damn arch. Go fuck yourself. This lifter is doing the same thing that you bitch about when people say, oh, well, that's just some woman doing that that lift. You just flipped it around. And you basically turned into the very (laughs) You were the chosen one, you became the very thing You hoped to destroy, go fuck yourself
0: Um, you know I don't disagree with you and Jen Thompson Probably has For as strong as she is And I'm not saying she doesn't have good technique Because it's hard to argue with somebody that Again, for context Probably one of the best female benchers Or benchers in general of all time A historically good bencher I
1: mean, 350 pounds plus at 148 I don't care who you are, that's incredible Agree. I don't want to diminish
0: that. Agree. And that's why I want to give context. But she does, she benches, I would say, fairly flat-backed. Like, she has less, she has more of an arch than being her the, her lower back on the bench. But she has a, <laughs> she has more of a flat back. She actually benches more with her elbows out than I would say is traditional for powerlifting. Um, so I would say, and that's the technique that works for her. But she doesn't necessarily maximize her technique. In order to limit her range of motion. I would say she has mm-hmm. actually a fairly long range of motion. Um, sure. And, and so, you know, she used the technique that works best for her, and so do others. And right. so I do see her point. She definitely did it for attention. Um, but why rip on a legal lift from your organization? Um, right. I mean, well, looks- I
1: guess it's not, not really her organization anymore.
0: <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, I mean... That- <laughs>
1: whole other thing there.
0: That's another story for another loose end, I suppose. We'll wait until uh, maybe the chips, the chips fall on that. But, uh, I mean, it's a legal lift in the IPF, which yeah.
1: seemingly is the goal. To, right. <laughs> she used to compete in it. She's a multi, I mean, I want to say like double-digit time world champion, full power and bench press.
0: Yes. IPF yes. champ. Yes, definitely. And why rip on a legal lift from your organization? I, I, I do see the issue when you get an arch that is that incredibly high that it becomes almost a shoulder shrug. It's such a small range of motion. But if it's been deemed a legal lift, like as you've said often, Mr. Bain, don't hit the player, hit the game. Yep. And, and I, I've yet to hear a coherent way to eliminate arches without saying, you know, you just have to have your back completely flat on the bench. Other than that one, which I think almost everybody except for Jim Bros on Instagram agrees is not a good solution because everybody would... Even Jen Thompson would say it is more optimal to have a an extended T-spine, mm-hmm. a retracted scapula, a depressed scapula to put the shoulders in the safest position to bench. And so that would require at least an arch of your upper back. Um, I don't know how you eliminate these extreme arches. I don't know. At one point, I've talked about it. They proposed a rule in the IPF where they literally were going to hang a string from the bar that was going to be like 15 centimeters, and the string had to be dangling off your chest at the start.
1: So I've heard that, and then also the uh, there has to be like some similar to the hip crease breaking parallel, the point of the elbow has to be below the top of the of the bench pad. I've heard that is another option, and
0: I've heard that, but I, I, and I don't know I what. I just it, don't see how you
1: measure that. that it's it very hard, subjective to me.
0: Very hard to look at. Um, yeah. But what? And what about a big fat guy or a big fat girl? Mm-hmm. All right, just a big thick person. Let's take fat. Yeah. What about a th- person th- with thick What about a person with a very thick torso that maybe doesn't have a huge arch and has very long arms? There's a lot of big dudes and big girls that mm-hmm. maybe their torso is so thick that their elbows don't go below the top of the bench pad. That would be an interesting thing to look at. Somebody like a like a Ray Williams. Look from the
1: side of, yeah, say Ray Williams, Julius Maddox, Thomas Davis. Look at the, them from the side. Does uh, there... th- Those are some thick motherfuckers.
0: And, and I, I, I wouldn't say any of them have a range of motion on the bench that anyone would consider, you know, too small. Like, I mean, Julius mm-hmm. Maddox, I mean, gosh, I would argue he maybe has too close of a grip. But, I mean, whatever, that's what works for him. Um, but he definitely has a long range of motion. And does his elbow go below the top of the bench pad? I don't know. So. Yeah, I don't know. So let's move on, Mr. Bain. Um, the return of stone stories.
1: Yeah, let's let's tell a story, Eric. T- uh, tell the class a story.
0: I, I have two very good ones for this week and next week that I'm shocked I haven't told yet. But maybe because the individuals involved are very specific and I can't mention them specifically. So yes. I, will, I will not say who this is. If you're, if you're uh, observational, you could figure it out, however. Um, so uh. after, after a recent meet, a vendor who used to be local, um, we'll call him Frank. Um, after cleaning up his booth, um, Frank showed a random trainer around the gym. I'm not sure why he introduced me to this, quote, trainer. And I'm going to put trainer in quotes because I have no idea if this person is a trainer or not, and I don't know why he was in my gym after the meet mm-hmm. as we're cleaning mm-hmm. up. Um, the trainer claimed that he, quote, trains Vince McMahon when he's in town and showed me a picture of Vince. Wrong. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. And I said, okay, I'm not sure why I'm being introduced to this person. I'm not sure why I'm talking to them. Um, so that was part of that afternoon. Um, we, mm-hmm. the staff, are basically done cleaning up after this trainer and, quote, Frank are walking around. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're talking about maybe like going out to eat or something like that. I'm not exactly sure. You know, we were all kind of, you know, just hanging out, maybe finishing up the last couple things, you know, throwing away trash, putting away chairs, et cetera. Frank, sure, sure, sure. Frank, I think, had left and came back. And, and by the way, this person's name is not Frank. So don't try to, like, think of like, who's Frank? Yeah, That's just a random name I picked. Um, yeah. Frank asked the entire group of maybe I'd say 8 to 10 people, "Hey, hey, uh does anyone have Venmo or Cash App?" <laughs> and it just silence and we're all like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And it's like, "Hey He's like, "Does anyone have Venmo or Cash App? Uh my nephew, you know, he needs like $100. Um I don't I don't have any of those and, and my nephew's at closing right now in a house and he needs $100 for closing."
1: What what type of day is it? What day of the week is it by so, the way?
0: This is a meet day, and this is a Saturday mm-hmm. afternoon, maybe even evening. I think it was an early meet. I can't remember exactly which meet it was.
1: M- Just be clear: M E E T, not N E A T.
0: You're right. Uh, <laughs> so this is like a Saturday, like evening, like let's say earliest four o'clock. And okay. I don't, I don't know. I've only closed on one uh, piece of property before. I don't think most closings happen Saturday at four or five o'clock. Do they, Mister
1: Baird? Um, the the one I've done was... Uh, no, no, I don't want to say either way because I know folks who work in real estate and technically, you know, we made those. We never closed. I know my closing on my home was Tuesday at like one thirty.
0: It seems like I would think most of the time because a lot of times lawyers are involved and unless, mm-hmm. and unless you're paying like really big money, I don't think lawyers most of the time are working on Saturday evening. Um, if you're paying enough money, they might. Um, but I think they mostly operate on like, you know... Not quite banker's hours, but at
1: least more like business hours. Right. Part-time banker's hours, at least.
0: Right. So this is Saturday evening, and his, quote, nephew needs $100 for closing? Um,
1: it's a very unique number for a close.
0: Uh, right. And all of us basically ignore him. And finally, Jen Gimmel says, no, no one has either of those. And he mm-hmm. just continues to stand there. And I'm like, I don't like it, situations like that. This whole situation was, like, super awkward, and so, like, I just go away because I don't want to talk to him, and I, like, mm-hmm. continue cleaning up. I, like, go to my desk and, like, start cleaning stuff up. My wife, Jackie, was in the back, and she comes back to the front of the gym, and again, Frank repeats, hey, does, does anyone have Venmo or Cash App? Uh, I need, like, $100 for my nephew. And Jackie, not really quite processing exactly what was being said or asked, and was, mm-hmm. like, really confused. She was like, What? And Jen responds for Jackie and says, "No, she doesn't have either of those." <laughs> now, oh my God! Obviously, this was a scam. But like, yeah. what was the scam? Like, was his nephew this individual's drug dealer? Or like, or like, I, I'm told was he like, having to pay
1: this trainer off? Like, because he had to show his picture of Vince McMahon.
0: I I don't know. I'm not even sure what the scam is. Like, so we pay some random person $100 Venmo. And then, like, presumably he was going to give us $100 cash. Or maybe he would owe us $100 cash is maybe more likely. So he's just trying to get $100? Like, I don't even know what it was because it never got that far. Um, But this individual has known to uh, be a scammer on many instances going back many, many years. Um, somebody said, uh, I believe it was Ms. Gimmel, who said, I said he's kind of like a cockroach. He'll reappear. And she said he's actually more like a cicada because he'll go away for a long time and then, like, will just appear and be super loud and annoying.
1: Well, it's Dr. Gimmel, But, yes, yeah, that's a very... Oh, you know, oh
0: fair. Dr. Dr. Gimmel, Yes. Fair. Yeah. Fair. fair. <laughs> so that's the Stone Story of the Week. Uh, often we'll go around the gym just saying, does anyone, does anyone have Venmo or Cash App? Perfect. You know, you know, my nephew, he's closing on a house and he's like $25 for closing.
1: Do you have both of those?
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't even know what both? cash. I don't even know what Cash App is.
1: Uh, I do have Cash Ven- App is like uh, Cash App is like the hood version of Venmo. Got it.
0: That's probably why. Uh, yep. That's probably why he was looking for Cash App. Um, let's let's move on to our Plusa throwback.
1: Throwback, 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 throwback.
0: All the way back to January 1987. Jesus! Uh, what were you doing in January 1987,
1: Mister Baby? I would have been almost five years old and we would have been getting ready for my sister to be born. She was born the, the following month. Okay, excellent. February of eighty seven, yeah. And she uh fun fact as in this recording, her daughter turned seven today. So okay. and my little niece. Okay. Yeah. Very good times. Good. What uh, what were you up to?
0: Um so I would have been three almost four and likely yeah. in preschool. Um, I, dec- wow. I, th- I can't think of anything else of note other than I do know that my favorite baseball player growing up, Andre Dawson, won the MVP in 1987,
1: um, I believe. I want to think. I was in kindergarten, and I don't know why. I remember, I, I remember two elementary school teachers' names, my kindergarten teacher and my third and fifth grade teacher because he was the same guy. But Miss Ferraro and I, every guy in our class had a crush on her. And then she got married at the end of the school year. And we were all like just despondent, like this is bullshit, man. You're supposed to wait for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I look back on it now, like, that's so weird. What is wrong with you?
0: You were born in the wrong era, because now is the era when teachers
1: sleep with their um, students. That's that's a whole thing.
0: Uh, so, what was going on in the world in January 1997? Well, our yeah. our uh, conservative Lord and Savior Ronald Reagan was president. <laughs> uh, the top TV shows of uh, that era: uh, The Cosby Show, and this is in Yikes. order. Uh, Right. Not to be shown anymore. Family Ties, Cheers, Murder, She Wrote, and The Golden Girls. Oh, such a good show. Um, Of those, I definitely watched The Cosby Show. I definitely watched Family Ties. I-ish watched Cheers, never watched Murder, She Wrote, and my mom wouldn't let us watch Golden Girls. Too much uh, discussion of sex, apparently.
1: I watched Murder, She Wrote with my grandma all the time. Hmm. Uh, I've seen many, many episodes.
0: Top movies of January. Specifically, I looked up January 1987, because we've already discussed the top movies of Mm -hmm. 87, I think even of the summer of 87. Um, The top movies in January was The Golden Child, which had Eddie Murphy. Never heard of it. It had Eddie Murphy in it. I think it was basically a bomb, but I guess it had one month of being on top. Star Trek IV, excellent. Crocodile Dundee, Mm -hmm. Platoon, and Little Shop of Horrors. Wow. I've only seen Star Trek 4 of all of those. Oh, I've seen Crocodile Dundee. Good movie.
1: I've seen seen Dundee, Platoon,
0: and Star Trek 4. Okay. Um, On the cover of this Powerlifting USA was one Hideki Inaba of Japan. Mm -hmm. And at this time, he won a historic 12th IPF Worlds in 1986. Wow. On November 13th, 1986, Hideki Inaba... Did a 518 squat, a 237 pound bench, a 518 pound deadlift. Good for a 1273 pound total at 114, the top coefficient of the meet. By the way, wow. by the way, he did that at 42 years old. That's wow. So wow. from from my research, <laughs> it looked as though uh, Inaba competed from 1974 at least, because that's the earliest. We could see in open powerlifting, and we know you know records from that era, are going to be harder to come by, especially in Japan, because you know open powerlifting is probably more of an English-speaking website. Um, I would agree. Uh, he looks like he competed from around 30 years old until 2003, when he was 59. Um, he had competition best lifts of a 535 squat, a 259 bench, and a 524 deadlift, and he competed. Mostly at 114, sometimes at 123 later in his career. He won somewhere around 17 gold medals at the IPF Worlds. And that's open. Um, Competed, uh, and that was from 1974 to 1991. He continued to medal from 1992 to 2000 in the open, including a third place finish in 2000 at 56 years old.
1: Wow, it's like David Rick style. That's crazy.
0: And he would he won the gold in the Masters. So I, I don't think those 17 gold medals include Masters because somewhere around there, he started competing in the Masters, sometimes as well or sometimes uh, in lieu of the open worlds. Um, his right. last recorded meet was the 2003 Masters World where he won the gold. Um, he competed in 27 world championships, according to my research, um, at least – um, I it impressive. I find an article online on him. Apparently his training schedule was as follows. Um, December through January, he did a long layoff. March and April. Uh, oh, no. January, December, January, February. Excuse me. A long layoff. March and April was his, quote, power training. So I guess training for powerlifting. Um, mm-hmm. May was Japanese nationals. Uh, June through August was his bodybuilding training, I guess, in the summer. Um, September, October, back to power training. November would be Worlds. And then again, took time off, December, January, February. And he apparently almost exclusively ate soy and raw fish to maintain his low body weight and did most of his training outside in his backyard. Wow. And is one of the most historically uh, winning uh, lifters in IPF Worlds history.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, I think the only person who's really close is Sardy I think Fedorowski. Mm-hmm. He's a Polish guy who's won, I mean, just umpteen number of Worlds and World Games. And, uh, well, yeah, that's, uh, wow, what, what a record.
0: So there was also the results from that IPF Worlds, November 13th through the 16th, 1986, in Haag, Holland. Uh, Lamar, as far as U.S. lifters is what I looked at, Lamar mm-hmm. Gant won the 132s, Dan Austin won the 148s, Fred Hatfield won the 242s, and Mike Hall from the U.S. won the super heavyweights with the biggest total of the meet, with a 2160 total at super heavyweight. Uh, Wow. There were rumors that Fred Hatfield had a, quote, carbon fiber lifting suit. I'm not even sure what that (laughs) means, but that is a direct quote. Um, The USA won the team competition, and (laughs) unsurprisingly, Inaba was the best lifter. Lamar Gant, famous deadlifter, who we've talked about before, was number two as far as the coefficients, Um, and there was a passing mention of the lawsuit against the USPF and IPF. Apparently, our buddy, Dr. Conrad Cotter, was in attendance, and it mentioned that the lawsuit between Ernie Franz and the USPF-IPF had been dismissed against the USPF, but was proceeding against the IPF. You can listen in the archives to our entire episode on the Franz-USPF-IPF lawsuit. Uh, Solid
1: plug
0: there. The world's APF world results were also in this issue. And I believe this was the first quote APF worlds. Uh, well, can we bring this back? Is that your question? Mr. Uh, Maui, Hawaii? Let's go. Oh yes. Well, uh, yes, this was in Maui, Hawaii. I believe Gus Rethwich probably would have been involved in that. Um, Mm -hmm. he was in Hawaii at the time. This was November 15th through the 16th, 1986. My coach, Mayor Sternberg had an excellent meet Um, She had a 500 squat, a 255 bench, and a 425 deadlift, good for an 1180 total at 198. Um, I believe the biggest total of a female. There are some other significant females competing. Doris Simmons, um, Diane Franz. Um... There was a couple others that were fairly historically significant competing at this uh, at this meet. Um, there were some fairly significant U.S. lifters. I mean, it was mostly U.S. lifters to be fair. and it, Not huge attendance, um, but some fairly significant lifters that were not at IPF Worlds. Um, one, John Enzer, won the one sixty fives with a seven hundred pound squat, a three hundred forty five pound bench, and a seven hundred and thirty pound deadlift at one sixty five. Good for a seventeen seventy five total,
1: and that's superior hair,
0: and yes, a superior mullet, and <laughs> uh, this is. Pr- I assume there was a bench shirt that he wore, but it certainly wasn't in the era of big bench shirts, and uh, even his own equipment wouldn't have been the era of you know advanced equipment at this at this point. Mm-hmm. Ed Cohn was not at IPF Worlds; um, he won best lifter at APF Worlds with a nine twenty squat, a five fifty five deadlift. <sighs> And an 8.55 uh, deadlift, or excuse me, 5.55 bench and 8.55 deadlifts, good for a 23.30 total. I believe that was at, oh, I should have wrote that down. I can't remember if that was 220. I believe that's 220. Yeah, I believe, believe that was 220. at 220. He was not all the way up to 242, but he was above 198 at that point. Um, Doug Furness of, later of, I was listening to a wrestling podcast today, where they talked about Furness and LaFon's the tag team in the late 90s in the WWF, um, wow. Which he was a part of. And Doug Furness did a 985 squat, a 600 bench, and an 815 deadlift, good for a 2,400 pound total at 275, the biggest of the meet. And apparently was the third lifter at that point to do a 2,400 pound total. So that was uh, APF Worlds, I believe the first. Oh. Uh, the Mind Body Link, an, uh, an article by Dr. Fred Hatfield. Um, he talks about the mind-body connection and how the CNS, the central nervous system controls the body's movements. From a strength perspective, he talks about de-inhibition training or essentially teaching your muscles not to shut down through the Golgi tendon organ. Um, talks a little bit about explosive training, um but watching for overtraining. He didn't really go into the practical application this article I do know that Fred Hatfield was big on compensatory acceleration training. You know, similar to the concept of what Louie talks about with speed. Uh, Fred Hatfield called it CAT. Speed. Compensatory acceleration training. I think the difference in the manner in which Fred Hatfield explains it is that he talks about how you want to accelerate the bar when the leverages of the lift are more advantageous. So, for instance, usually, not always, but usually, especially the lighter weight, the The top half of the squat are going to be easier than the bottom half of the squat, and thus you should try to accelerate the bar when it becomes easier rather than just coasting through the end of the lift. Um, So I'm not exactly sure where, you know, his de-inhibition training comes from. I do know from reading some of his other work that he was big on 120% overloads on squat and bench, you know, basically heavy holds. And I do know he was big on CAT, compensatory acceleration training. So. Um, there was a message from USPF President Dr. Conrad Cotter. Um, he mentions mm-hmm. that the lawsuit against the USPF had been dismissed. Um, and we do and he mentions, and we do know, that originally the USPF was awarded court costs against the APF and Ernie Franz, but it was later dismissed after apparently Cotter and his lawyer requested too much, and they were basically slapped down by the judge. I would love... Good. I would love to have heard that. Um, and I, I would love to know that this, because even in the court documents, we couldn't really find exactly what happened there. Um, very strange.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting that we can't find. And don't worry, I don't necessarily expect for stenographer's notes to be in there, but you would think that something would be like some admonishment or something like that. Yeah.
0: Uh, there was literally seven pages in a row for marathon. I mean, and they had many more, they had other ads in this issue, but seven pages of ads in a row. Um, they, they sold suits, wraps, belts, and a lot of supplements. Um, some other interesting ads. I mean, there's, I mean, you know, this goes back to 87. Um, so some of the ads are just interesting. Um, you had an ad for power systems unlimited that sold miracle suits and miracle bench shirts. Neither, mm. neither of which I have ever heard of. If anybody ever used a Miracle suit or a Miracle bench shirt, I would love to uh, hear about it because that is one I've never heard of. I've heard of, you know, obviously Marathon. Um, people still mm-hmm. talk about the Marathon deadlift suits. Um, obviously, at that time, there was advertisement for Enzer. There was advertisement for Franz. There was advertisement for Titan. Um, I think Larry Pacifico might have had his own thing kind of with Ernie for a while, but never heard of Miracle. Um, yeah, there's there an ad and I, I might pull out this ad. There's an ad for Rick Wheel, who is a famous raw venture. He had a tilt bench. And if you're familiar with I think gosh, I think it was maybe Hammer Strength that sold what was kind of called a breaker bench, where kind mm-hmm. of like the the bench uprights could move with you, not from the top but from the bottom. And they were called breaker benches, kind of like a monolith bench. Um and that's essentially what this Rick Wheel tilt bench was. Um, and I believe this was... Uh, I believe this predates the Monolith Corporation adjustable bench. It is definitively different than the Monolith bench because that was uh, hanging arms from the top. This was a tilting upright from the bottom.
1: Mm, interesting.
0: And finally, there was an ad for the safety squat bar endorsed by Dr. Fred and, Hatfield. And
1: to be clear, because I'm not there, I'm not seeing it, that was for a barbell, not for dumbbells, correct?
0: uh Yes, correct. This was a... Because
1: there is an advertisement going around lately that is showing for a similar contraption but for dumbbells to hand off for a heavy dumbbell bench.
0: No, I've seen that before where it's basically like hooks you hang from the bar, correct? Or is it something... No, these are
1: actually like... They're they're a tilt from the bottom.
0: Oh, that have like uh, trays to put the dumbbells in. Yes, yes, yes. I I have seen those. I think it's similar to that, but this is for a barbell, yes. Interesting. I've seen those, which is also pretty interesting. Interesting. and it's a similar concept to the monolith bench.
1: Well, it's not um, IPF approved, so it sounds like sorcery.
0: <laughs> there was, again, there was an ad for the safety squat bar, and sure enough, I didn't think that Hatfield squats were necessarily as much a thing as people make them out to be, but gosh, in this 1987 ad, Fred Hatfield is doing what people now call Hatfield squats with the safety squat bar, holding onto the <laughs> rack in front of him. So. Um, and then we've got the top 100... Uh, 242s. I wrote 275. That's a typo, Mr. Maine. I've got the two. Nah, you got me all excited, man. It's bullshit. I've got the 242s from November 85 to October 86. And a Franz lifter, Bill Nichols is number one mm. with 912. Uh, Fred Hatfield down at number five with 837. Um, S Brody. I'm going to guess that's Shane Brody, our I- Irish uh, I president. He has an yeah. eight thirty five squad in nineteen eighty five. We should check with him on that. If that uh, he's been if he's come to competing that long, gosh, give him a lot
1: of credit. Uh, but that would that's seem to awesome, make
0: man. I mean, how many S Brodies could there be, right?
1: Um, the powerlift and they're doing that well. Uh, I can't imagine very many.
0: Um, J. Wagruder was top of the bench with six seventeen. B. Russell was top of the deadlift with an eight fifty nine pound deadlift, and again, Bill Nichols top of the total with a 22.02 total. So that was your top 242s. Fred Hatfield, who we mentioned before, was a 2,050 total. Um, He was all the way down at, looks like about 16.17. And he won the IPF Worlds. So this kind of shows you where we're starting to get that separation. I mean, you've got Jim Cash, a big guy with a 2,095 total. Um, So you're starting to see the separation of the organizations at this point, even with the the top 100 uh, list. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely starting to be that separation there. Um, let's uh, let's move on uh, from that, Mr. Bain. Uh, let's move into our topic at hand for the day.
1: Yeah. Let's, let's talk some, some Devil's Advocate. Uh,
0: one of our Devil's Advocate episodes, just in, so that everyone has full context of what we're doing here. So, basically, I think in most... Most likelihood, Mr. Bain and I agree on this issue, and we probably agree mm-hmm. on, you know, maybe 85, 90, 95 percent of issues. Yeah, m- most of these, yeah. Especially the devil's advocate one. So I am going to take the opposing viewpoint for the sake of argument. Um, in mm-hmm. this case, I am going to take the position, Mr. Bain, that we should ban 24-hour WANs.
1: What did they do to you with that USAPL me man?
0: I've come back, and I've, they <laughs> actually they gave me a cup. And they said, you mm-hmm. know, it, it's very delicious. It's a little sugary, but just yeah. drink this, and your whole world we changed.
1: I refuse to believe that Kool Aid made by white people was that sugary. Yes.
0: So, Mister Bain, <laughs> I, I, wow, I believe, I believe that we should ban 24-hour wins, and I'm going to give you, fa- I'm going to give you five primary reasons about why we should ban powerlifting. Should 24-hour weigh-in should be banned for, from every organization. Um, number one, weight classes are supposed to represent the lifters' actual weights when they compete. In a 24-hour weigh-in, and, and I, just, just, so I'm, just so we're clear, I believe mm-hmm. in a two-hour weigh-in. So if okay. you use a 24-hour weigh-in, lifters can easily manipulate their body weights so that they are not at that weight when they are competing.
1: And so I, I just want to be clear. You, you're saying that the you believe the spirit of weight classes was to represent the lifter's weight at the time of competition. That's that's what you're contesting here. Correct.
0: That is correct. Okay. Um, okay. Even if you fast, uh, even if you just fast and, and okay, you haven't eaten and then you weigh in 24 hours before, um, you're undoubtedly going to weigh more when you compete. Uh, a tw- a t- Now, granted – You know, there can be some small changes from a two-hour weigh-in to the competition. But if you weigh in the same day, if you weigh in two hours prior to your competition, uh, the spirit of there actually being weight classes is going to be the most accurate. And the question I have for you, Mr. Bain, as perhaps someone that supports these fake 24-hour weigh-ins, is powerlifting a measure of your strength and how much weight can be put on the bar relative to your weight class? Or is it a measure of your ability to manipulate your body weight?
1: Uh, I mean, I don't really think it's either, per se. If it was a measure of strength, we would just use a force pad and call it a day. Uh, nor do I think it's a measure of your ability to manipulate your body weight. I think that's a, a part of it. But really, it's when you think about it, you're just moving around the weights. And so really, it is simply your ability to manipulate what is ever on the bar and whatever you choose to have on the bar uh, within the parameters of that Federation's rules. Thinking of those that maybe have looser judging standards or maybe have some standards around certain equipment it's really a measure of your ability to work within those rules of the federation not necessarily a measure of your true strength or your ability to make that body weight so i i would disagree that it's either one of those uh and, and when it comes to representing the lifters weights at the time they compete i have a tough time with that because i mean that could literally change with one good poop
0: Well, but we're trying to make it as accurate as possible. I mean, otherwise, why have weight classes? If we're not going to actually, if the lifters aren't actually going to weigh what the weight, what the stated weight class is, uh, we'll talk soon about the dangerous nature of weight cutting. But if somebody's going to cut 30 pounds, if they're actually a 250-pound person and they're weighing, they're supposedly have weighed in and are competing against an actual 220-pound person, and that's the upper limit, by the way. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, generally speaking, I thought we were just going to step on the scale in powerlifting and say, okay, here's what you weigh. You fall into a particular weight class, not that, hey, you're going to weigh 30 or 40 pounds more than that stated upper limit when you actually step on the platform. Um, At that point, it becomes a measure of, you know, who has the best uh, access to saunas and to diuretics and to IVs after the fact, after they weigh in.
1: Again, I would disagree with that in that it's – Also, a matter of personal choice. We're going to get into this whole weight cutting is dangerous thing in a second, but it it just simply comes down to a matter of choice, whether you choose to use those things or not.
0: Well, we choose to have a gold standard and have a two-hour weigh-in.
1: Okay. We'll enjoy being banned, too, for drug testing. Uh,
0: (laughs) Well, uh, point number two, you mentioned it. I did. I did. Weight cutting is dangerous. Um, We talked about uh, prior to her uh, transitioning um, Mm – When Jean Marie Croc was Matt Croc, Croc was known to cut from 250 pounds down to 220 pounds in about 24 hours, and mostly through pure saunaing and water manipulation. Um, yeah. We've seen lifters use water manipulation. Um, you know there are lifters that overhydrate themselves for days and then completely dehydrate themselves for 24 to 36 hours. Um, mm-hmm. Some lifters will use drugs like diuretics to cut weight, um, which, of course, is illegal in, our, in a gold standard organization. Um, however, uh, you know, in organizations that have these 24-O-WANs, they probably don't, don't care about that. Uh, so, you know, usually the endeavor of powerlifting um, is one of strength and health and wellness. And I'm not sure why... Why would we be encouraging lifters? Why would we be ad- advantage, giving them an advantage, um, essentially encouraging them by giving them 24 hours to put weight back on to do these danger, dangerous weight cuts? When you have a two-hour weigh-in, uh, you're, you're not going to be able to do that kind of drastic weight cut because your performance... And I, and I believe, actually, your performance is, is likely going to be impacted with a 24-hour weigh-in, just maybe not quite as much and not as quite as apparent because it's going to be impossible for you to put that weight back on in just a couple of hours um and just in general why are we encouraging lifters to engage in dangerous behavior um as we as we saw in this in this uh issue of powerlifting usa from 1987 um the adfpa at the time their motto was uh sound body and a sound mind and strength um
1: Certainly, they don't have a sound mind, but that's a topic for a different uh, podcast. So I, I just question who is actually believing that it is encouraging. Ultimately, when you have, you know, we, and in this case, we're talking about adults. And even you are talking about kids that supposedly have adults around them. And I don't want to say that adults don't take advantage of kids. It's a whole rabbit hole we can go down. But let's say for the sake of argument here that we have adults that are of sound mind and potentially sound body, at least, uh, you know, for 364 days out of the year, not the one day they're cutting weight. You have the decision to make on what you're going to do. And ultimately, as an adult, you also deal with the consequences. One of my other favorite things to say is, you know, besides knowing the player at the game, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And so for me, I I don't see an issue with having those 24-hour weigh-ins. The biggest reason because is yes, could it be dangerous? I don't also want to negate the fact that a 30-pound weight cut with no understanding of how your body is going to respond can potentially be dangerous. But there is a risk reward that these individuals are going to have to weigh and as an adult you have that you have that right and so i don't see a reason why we should deny people that right simply because we feel that well 24 hours versus two hours is going to be uh promoting danger in the sport No, 24 hour weigh-in simply says hey this is the rules and you can follow those rules you can just like i talked about earlier with you know is it truly a measure of strength or manipulation of weight no it's just working within the rules of that federation
0: well but when you allow A lifter 24 hours an entire day to put weight back on you know you're going to have ignorant individuals who think well i'm just going to starve myself for a week and then i'm going to pound mcdonald's right after wins and you know i'm going to put a bunch of weight back on and and in reality their performance is still going to suffer um not only that but it's it's not very healthy and I thought that powerlifting was an endeavor that was supposed to promote health and wellness,
1: um, and strength. I see it more as a more as a Darwinian exercise. We're just weeding out the weak. This is one other way of doing it, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> number three. Some of to go, "What the fuck is wrong with him?"
0: I suppose. Uh, number three. Uh, lifters will now have to dedicate another day to competing in order, just to weigh in. And now lifters, instead of this being a one-day competition, now Mm -hmm. lifters likely are going to have to travel to the venue twice instead of just for one day. Mm -hmm. If you're traveling out of state, you're now going to have to travel an an entire day earlier. Let's say we're traveling to Florida, Mr. Bain, as you and I have. If I want to weigh in the day before the meet when I compete on Saturday, I weigh in on Friday. I now have to get there on Thursday just to weigh in on Friday to compete on Saturday. So I've increased my hotel night. I've increased my travel. I've increased my day off work, and you know what other sports? What other sports do you need to get to the venue the day before you compete? You know, just to check in. Um, so from a, from a competition standpoint, uh, why wouldn't I just have everything on one day? Why wouldn't it just be okay? I compete on Saturday, and as part of that process of competing, um, I go way in. I check my weight. You know, I check my openers. I check my rack heights. It's all. It, it all should be in one day. Uh, that's how most sports are. Um, and I don't. Adding an extra day for the lifter adds undue stress and undue financial constraints onto the lifter.
1: I'm not going to deny that that could potentially do that because it's true. I mean, if you have another ex- a night in a hotel, if you're traveling, you've got different flight patterns. You know, you have to work with that, and that potentially could add additional nights depending on what your your financial situation is. Ultimately, this is a hobby, so we're choosing to do this. So I don't want to hear anybody bitch about, oh, well, it costs too much. Well, then choose a different hobby. Secondly, many other sports require you to be there at either days or sometimes weeks in advance. Think of things like the Olympics where you're arriving for the ceremonies. Now it's a little different. You're actually checking in, but you're still checking to the venue and you're going through their process. And especially this year with the 2020 Olympics, a year later, there's a lot of testing going on. Think of like the Super Bowl where they're arriving two weeks beforehand and they're required to be at the venue the entire week prior to the, to the game itself, doing all their different pressers and all the different things. And if they don't do that, they sometimes lose the ability to play.
0: Well, we're talking about so still, we're talking about players making millions of dollars, though, Mr. Bain. Sure,
1: but you, but we're also just talking about sports in general. This is still a thing that is that is a requirement. And if we're going to say, okay, well, these guys are amateurs and it's a hobby, great. So you're choosing to do it, so don't bitch.
0: Well, think about your, okay, if we're talking about amateur athletics, well, what about a football team? Do they need to get to the, the high school the day before to check their cleats? Or to you know check their pads? No, they they arrive a, a couple hours before the game. Um, they might have to you know go, uh, go through a visual equipment check with the referees that are there, but they're just warming up on the field and playing their game all in one all in one go. Um, they're not there an entire day before just so that
1: that's why they're, that's why they're not the gold Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, you know, number four is the history of the sport, and I know that this is a podcast that believes in looking into the history of the sport, Mister Bain. The Which history, we do. this history, the history of this sport of powerlifting is one of two-hour weigh-ins. And if we're following the, the traditional rules of the sport, it always had a two-hour weigh-in. You weigh in two hours before you lift. If it's a nine o'clock start, you weigh in at seven o'clock, and you weigh in from seven to eight or seven to eight thirty. Uh, you set your flights, and then you compete. Uh, Weigh-ins were just supposed to be a check, along with you know stating your openers, along with checking your gear, along with checking your rack height. So There's just those, just things that you check. You've already entered a weight class. We're just checking to make sure you're there. And now all, we're adding an entire other day, 24 hours prior, just to check in basic items like rack height, like openers, like your body weight. We're just checking it. Um, and, and the history of this sport is one that. It is one where, hey, we have these stated weight classes, and you know, just like a high school wrestling meet, you're not going a day before to check your weight. No, you arrive at the venue. Um, uh, my son Jacob has done uh, wrestling meets on the weekends. You arrive at the venue early, you weigh in, you check in, you get your your mat assignments, and then you wait for your time to time to compete. No different than a, than a traditional powerlifting meet, um, in which also you know you have traditional a traditional walkout. Um, traditional judging standards and... Uh, traditional
1: flipping pads and whatnot.
0: Yeah, very very traditional equipment. And, uh, <laughs> you know, should we make a football... You know, we talked about football. Should we make a football team come to the stadium a day early just to do the coin flip so they know which team is on which side of the field first?
1: I mean, that would make sense to me. It, it really would be the most efficient way to do it, but I, I kid. Uh, and I don't want to deny the history of the sport. I mean, two-hour awayings were definitely a part of the, the origination of the sport. There's a few things that get in the way of that there's one the size of the meats in, in some cases where yes you may try to have you know some of these individuals getting there for two hours but re- reality is as you get into the hundreds of different you know lifters throughout the uh throughout the meet that may not necessarily be uh, a plausible thing to do also let's recall that the sport used to use hubcaps and tires to hold up the, the squat racks you know famous uh, quote from uh, Fred Clary talked about his first meet. He had to walk around tires to squat, you know, was it 700, 800 pounds, uh, scary, scary thing. And so there's also a safety aspect there that, uh, you know, we would, we can certainly talk about, but ultimately like, this is looking as an, as an evolution of the, the process where you have time to change. You have to check equipment. Now I know in the APF, we don't necessarily have equipment check, uh, you know, to verify it's a certain brand or, you know, who has paid their tithe, uh, to get in but well when you have gold you, you standard do,
0: equipment you have to yeah it has to be approved first and well, right, you, know, we you, have, would, you have to pay your tithe we would we would we would have a we would have a stamp of approval on said equipment so that we mm-hmm. know that you're not using uh subpar equipment
1: right those who have not paid their dues totally understand that um it's definitely not about the money though no no definitely not <laughs> so no so it, it, there is an evolution that comes with that now you know so evolution is, it, is, it is just loosening.
0: So you're saying evolution is just loosening the standards.
1: Evolution is allowing the standards to evolve with it because when you look at how certain organizations believe, whether it comes to weigh-ins or, or other other standards, when you become so dogmatic that it then negates the people's ability to actually compete, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense.
0: Oh, so you can't compete if you don't weigh in. 20- if you don't weigh in the day before, you can't compete is what you're saying.
1: Well, depending on the organization, yeah. Okay, But there also are still more than enough weigh-ins in some cases for even the 24-hour weigh-ins. That's simply a guideline. There's also a night before weigh-ins as well. Okay.
0: All right. So I guess what we're saying is that evolution equals a loosening of standards. Got it. Uh, let's move on to uh, – Well, yeah. Have a, you seen a, the human
1: race? Are you fucking kidding me?
0: Yeah. Let, yeah. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's continue along that same pathway. Um, 24-hour weigh-ins make records incomparable. Uh, The records are basically invalid in a 24-hour weigh-in organization. Uh, How can somebody say they broke a 242, quote, world record if they actually weighed 260 pounds when they were on the platform? Um, Lifters in higher weight classes are just manipulating their body weights. They're manipulating their water. Um, They're not actually a 242-pound person. So they're just manipulating water, their body weight, using tricks and, uh, you know, other things, just to compete, quote-unquote, in a lower weight class. Um, you can't really compare actual weight class records to 24-hour weigh-in records. Uh, you, know, you can't – or to, to two-hour weigh records. You can't compare them.
1: And you can say that about an uh, umpteen number of – Lifting variables, whether it's a, a mono or a walkout, whether it's special. Well, of course, it
0: should be walked out because that's traditionally part of the squat. We've already had an episode. that's actually that.
1: not. We've already had no, an no, episode no. of that, Mr. Bain. Wrong, very wrong, very terrible. You're being rude. Eric, you're being rude. <laughs> you could talk about testing and non testing. Well, of raw, course, it should be drug tested because
0: similar to not encouraging weight cutting, we definitely should not be encouraging drug use
1: in, well, sure in competition. Drugs are fun. Quit being a bitch. Judge your fun.
0: You know, again, sound <laughs> sound, body, sound body and sound mind, and that would be the gold standard we would follow in a, okay. a sport of health and wellness.
1: Well, it's not a sport. It's a hobby, so we can do what we feel like.
0: Well, maybe for you guys it's a hobby.
1: Oh, for all the professionals, that's right.
0: For your 24-hour weigh-in, uh, you know, uh, mono, mono uh, leg press squats, sure, maybe it is just a hobby.
1: Uh, yeah, so I, I it's mean, a, is it a is it a lifestyle for you two hour guys?
0: Well, I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's a, <laughs> it's something that we believe in. Um, you know, we're very, li- very
1: dogmatically. You know, yeah,
0: I mean, we live the SBD lifestyle. Yeah, I, I mean, get both it's, both it's squat a, bench, lifestyle and, and the and the organization and the the company SBD.
1: Oh yeah, of course. We mean, full full sponsor, uh, uh, the, red, the red stuff.
0: You know, I would cons- <laughs> I would consider doing equipped lifting as part of the gold standard if SBD, made it, if SBD made squat suits and bench shirts, which, you know, maybe that could happen soon. What do
1: you think, Mr. Bain? You never, you never know. They, they could. I mean, Mark Bell's already gone the way of the power pants, so it could, could happen.
0: So, Mr. Bain, let, let's go through some, some counterpoints, which you have already gone through. Um, I I have, I
1: have stolen a couple, yes, yes.
0: So you've gone through a few of these. So let's go through, number one, and I think this is the biggest uh, argument against— uh 24 weigh ins is that you know you're basically manipulating the body weight uh, of the individuals and they're not truly in that weight class and sure. I, I would argue lifters can also manipulate their body weight for a 2 hour weigh in admittedly not as much but i mean certainly there are lifters that cut weight so i guess the question is how much manipulation is allowed and i guess you know the 2 hour weigh in it's going to be less but if somebody really knows what they're doing i mean they might be able to. are, are you allowed to hook up I mean, I don't know. In the USAPL or IPF, can you hook up uh, saline? I don't know if that's legal or illegal. I don't know,
1: but I, I would assume that they would be frowned upon if you had a but bandage that, on your on your arm. But I don't know if it's illegal. But is that I illegal? That's not a
0: drug. Illegal. That's just you know, we're, we're talking about saline, Literally,
1: salt water. Yeah, we're salt talking water. about salt water. Maybe maybe you put some
0: glucose in there. I mean, that's just yeah. it's just you know, you're basically just doing it intravenously rather than drinking it. I've certainly seen lifters at USAPL meets with PD light bottles. I saw some this weekend after Wans. They immediately were pounding breakfast sandwiches and pounding PD Lite, even
1: the college kids. Has, has, has PD Light, you know, paid their their tithe yet?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, I it's just like
1: Abbott Labs, give it up. What's up?
0: It's just like uh, does does Nike and Reebok and Noble, do they have to pay for for people to use their shoes? Um, you know, what's, uh, you know what's funny is I did see an older lifter. I think it was his first meet, and he was he was wearing a metal singlet, which I was actually surprised that, really? they, that they approved because they did have an equipment check. And I said, "Hey, bud," I said, "I'm not any kind of person here." I said, mm-hmm. "But uh, I would suggest you probably get a new singlet because metal gear is illegal." And he's like, "Really?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's a long story, but the owner made a inappropriate social media post. If you do any bigger meet than this one." They're probably yeah, they not. Gonna gonna, shoot that down. Yeah, probably not going to allow it. Um, Interesting. Huh. Uh, you know, and number two, weight cutting is dangerous. <laughs> you know, uh, lifters. That's what we do. <laughs> well, yes, I mean, I'm not. Who who said powerlifting is supposed to be not dangerous? I mean, I guess it's the question. Uh, number one, number two, lifters still cut weight with a two-hour weight. In fact. Perhaps it's more dangerous if lifters do cut weight and have to immediately lift afterward. Um, lifting while dehydrated is not a good idea. No, well, I guess you could I mean, say... There,
1: there was there was an incident at some meet in California where a guy, uh, something very bad happened on his third squat where he had to have surgery on both knees uh, last night. Uh,
0: you know, I mean, it, it, it's... It, it. Neither is, I guess, the argument would be you shouldn't be cutting weight at all, but in a weight uh-huh. class... In a weight class-oriented sport, you're always going to have people cutting weight, always. No matter what you do, people are going to try to... It's just like with the arch. People are going to try to game whatever the system is, and maybe you should adjust the rules as such so the gaming of the system is lessened. But I guess if people are going to cut weight anyway, you might as well just give them the chance to be at full strength when they're on the platform.
1: Every great coach... Think about this. We've played... I would consider powerlifting a niche sport. I think you would agree with that, Eric. Yes. And think of more traditional sports. So think of your footballs, your basketballs. You, you know, we talked about you know, the, the multi-million dollar sports. What did every coach always tell you? You play to the whistle. Play to the whistle. Yeah, 100%. And this, is exa- this, and this is exactly what powerlifting's version of playing to the whistle is.
0: Yeah. I mean, you should weigh, ideally, you should weigh the maximum amount you can in your weight class. Absolutely. Now, you also, once you're there... Once you're there, you should weigh as little as you can, you know, at the at your weigh so that from a coefficient perspective. So, I mean, Jen Gimmel famously talks about how she's always weighing in, in her birthday suit. Um yeah. I, I can't say I always do that. I usually go down at least my skibbies because I want to be as li- light as possible. Um, but I don't necessarily need to always give a free show to, you know, Eric Hubbs at weigh-ins. Um, I'm sure, he's upset about that. But... Yeah, probably not. Um, <laughs> So it's, all, it's going to be dangerous no matter what, and I guess my argument would be you might as well give people the opportunity to get back to full strength when they're on the platform. I think it's uh, – both are dangerous. I think it's plausibly – Yeah, I think it's plausibly more dangerous to have people cut weight with a two-hour weigh-in.
1: Yeah, because they're going to manipulate no matter what and, and give folks that time to, to recap it. And we'll go into this a little more in another counterpoint just about – just from a mentality standpoint. like. Why worry about this?
0: Yeah, and I know one argument, and I get, I do get this from lifters from a logistics standpoint. Um, you know, you have to dedicate another day to competing. Um, mm-hmm. I I guess my answer is so what, <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. If like you want, that was my answer. Like it's fucking hobby, man. What I mean, you do? right? I mean, that's the. I mean, if you don't want to do it, then I guess don't compete in the the event. I mean, yeah. I, In my opinion, wouldn't you rather just be able to focus on competing the day of the event? Um, exactly. I mean, smaller meets often still have morning of WANs at the very least, they at least have night before WANs from a logistical standpoint, from the standpoint of your nerves. I think there's probably value to just coming to the venue the day before the meet anyways. So a, you know, where we were going B, you mm-hmm. have some of those mental things, you know, checked off your list. You've got your openers in, you've, you've got your body weight done. In the ideal scenario, maybe even taking care of your rack height, so when you walk in the next morning, all you have to do is check your flight, warm up, and lift. You don't have to worry about all those other logistical things.
1: Um, so so let, let me let me add to that a little bit because I that's I, huge that logistical, but from a psychological standpoint. So you think about this when you're introduced to new stimuli. So whenever you're in like a new a new venue, right? So think about this: the first time somebody walks into two XL. It's a big arena, right? It's 22,000 square feet is the main area. You've got a huge warm-up area. You've got that back room uh, for the lifters. So for those who are listening who've never been to 2XL, it's a great venue for events. Shameless plug. However, if this is your first time in an event like this and you're used to either training at a smaller powerlifting gym or maybe you're used to training at a commercial gym and this is not what a commercial gym is set up like, you all of a sudden are introducing all this new stimuli that does affect your CNS and affects your ability to execute. So at least having that extra day, it doesn't totally wipe it out, but it's no longer new when you walk in on meet day.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I agree. And uh, if it's a big meet and I always get, I always, you know, the question I always get from lifters is when am I going to be competing? What flight am I in? I can tell you, you can't, generally always determine those kind of things until weigh-ins are over. And so if you want a big meet to be more in order, I can tell you that if things are set the day before, it's more likely that the meet is going to be uh, scheduled. It's more likely the meet is going to run uh, more efficiently if you're able to do that the day before. Now, at this USAPL meet, for instance, like, and, and I know that they use this lifting cast where you can see the flight. You know, the flight's already set who is in what flight. But right. you couldn't see the order until the weigh are over. So, literally, we're we're already in our warm-up. And we don't even know necessarily where somebody is. You could have a, maybe a general idea. But when the weigh-ins end a half hour prior to the lifting starting and you're in the first flight, you're really not going to necessarily know what the flights are even when you start your warm-ups, depending on how long your right. warm-ups take.
1: And if you're going to be earlier in the meet, like, you, you probably want to know these things. I, I would. I can tell you, and I—I I,
0: I would have preferred to have known that when I was helping Marissa, especially given that she's an equipped lifter, and there's more mm-hmm. warm, warm warm up and prep time. You got to do some raw warm ups, then you got to do you got to get on your squat suit, even a single ply squat suit. Then you probably need to do one with straps up, and, and you got to wrap knees. And there's a lot of timing involved there. And I would prefer to have come walk in the venue knowing what's going on. And granted, things always can change in meets.
1: Um, but it, it's, it's, reduce.
0: yeah, I think we, we've just, talked about it in
1: our, in our, our, when you're doing your first meet and then when getting ready for me, reduce variables.
0: Yeah. Um, I know another argument that I didn't mention because I, I don't think it necessarily matters to most lifters, but I know meet directors make the argument that it's going to add to the workload because now you have to have you have to you have to have weigh-ins the day before and set up the day before versus you know maybe just set up the day before and everything's you know kind of put into one day for the actual work with the lifters. Um, I personally would much rather have the weigh-ins done the day before along with setup, uh, so that all the paperwork, all the flights, all the computer stuff can be done the day before, and you're not worrying about that the day of the meet. The day of the meet. You're just running the rules meeting, you're post, the flights are posted, you're, you're dealing with other fires that a meet director has to do. I mean, uh, the meet director at this USAPL meet this weekend, he was messing with the AV system probably for the first three hours of the meet, and it never quite worked 100% right. And I can empathize because I've had technological issues myself. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. He had a nice setup. you got a lot of TVs in the back. They were trying to have the live stream run into the warm-up room, which was nice. Um, that's something I could maybe think about trying to have us do, or at least a, a feed of the video. So I, 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 can appreciate, um, you know, all those little things that go on. Uh, I would think maybe if you reduce some of that, having to figure out flights the day of, maybe some of those things, you know, could have been done more efficiently. I don't know. Maybe not.
1: And, and I'll, I'll add to that too. If you're a lifter, especially cause there, I've noticed more lifters as I've worked many meets that, have special requirements, whether it's, hey, you need blocks under your feet for bench, or uh, maybe there's, you know, somebody has a prosthetic, and they have to make some accommodations. Like, this way you can prepare, and you can kind of have the meet director prepared, so that when you're coming up, it's not a surprise to the rest of the staff on the platform, like, oh, shit, we had stuff to do with this person. Right.
0: And we're not even talking about, what if lifters, A, don't show up, or don't make <laughs> or don't make their weight class, because that happens yep. at every meet. And I can tell you, there is nothing worse than the day of the and I've done this before, having a bunch of lifters not make weight or not show up. I mean, imagine in the in the APF, it used to be the same rule as the USAPL. Now, we always have still had 24-hour WANs, but our morning of WANs used to end 30 minutes prior to the lifting. So up to 30 minutes prior to the lifting, you still maybe have lifters that have not shown that um, or that miss weight. And so... 30 minutes prior to you're supposed to start the lifting. Now you maybe have to completely reconfigure flights, which means you have to change stuff in the computer, which means you have to change scorecards, which means you have to post new flights. And I can tell you under that old rule in the APF, we rarely started on time. I Mm -hmm. uh, requested that we change that morning of Wayne to end one hour prior to lifting. And then eventually we just opted to eliminate the requirement of it totally, which we do at most bigger meets. Um, for the same reason, so that we can get things set. Because if I have to change flights, I would much you do rather have to prepare more
1: for the bigger meets.
0: Right, I would much rather have to. I would much rather have uh, the time to do that the night before and be able to have all that ready, rather than an hour or worse, a half hour prior to the lifting starting. Okay, now you've got to start from scratch and try to figure out how to get people in flights that a people are competing against who they're supposed to be competing against. B, have the right number of lifters in this flight, and C, maybe even make sense from a, you know, amount of weight on the bar perspective, which is tricky.
1: It is. That is. It, you would much rather the opposite of that, where a lifter shows up to weigh in the day before and then doesn't come back.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. You know, and, and <laughs> I, at, at every meet, we have lifters that no-show. And I yeah. would say it, the bigger the meat, the, the sooner or the, the more early lifters sign up, the more likely we, we are to have no shows. And uh, we had a Worlds. We talked about this in a previous episode where we literally had an entire team not show up. And people are complaining that the flights weren't ready. It's like we had 15 people not show up this morning. Uh, you know, we yep. might as well just take all our flights, throw them in the garbage and start from scratch. Uh, this yes, is our sir. Worlds 10, 12 years ago. Um, you talked about this, you know. I talked about the history of the sport being two-hour wins. I mean, I appreciate history, uh, but as you said, the history of the sport—we used to use hubcaps and tires as basis for squat racks. And if we're talking about other sports, sports like MMA and boxing have been using twenty-four-hour wins basically forever. Like that's standard in weight-class sports. I don't know if they do yeah. that in, if they ever do that in wrestling. I know that in kids' sports they don't. But that's just a logistical item for the most part. Because that is a logistical
1: nightmare trying to hurt all those cats.
0: Right. So I get it, but other sports. I mean, a 24-hour win is not something unique to powerlifting. That's for sure. No, no, it is not a
1: not a one-sport thing. Um,
0: And, and you know, uh, the last one about, you know, 24-hour 24, 24 wins making the records incomparable. Well, you know, as you mentioned, Mr. Bain, there are an unlimited number of variables that make – Many records from organization to organization and comparable walkout mm-hmm. versus monolift, drug testing versus no testing, equipment categories of raw, classic, single ply, and now unlimited. Oh, multiply mm-hmm. and unlimited. Specialty yeah, bars, you have to get
1: multiply there, sir. Right,
0: yeah, raw, classic, single ply, multiply, and limited. Um, specialty bars versus using one bar, especially the deadlift bar. Judging standards, and, and I'm not even just talking about looseness or strictness of judging, but things like your feet having to be flat on the ground or not, um, having extra commands on the lifts, like you know a start command on the bench or a squat command on the squat. Um, I would be a proponent of adding a start command to the bench. Um, I saw a couple benches posted on the interwebs this weekend where the handoff was definitively soft.
1: Um, yes and then and then the lead spotter stood stood there yeah. i think i know exactly which one you're talking about
0: yeah i mean yeah so i mean should we be comparing and that's also was with a slanger shirt i believe as well i quote uh sl- that one was that was a single ply actually oh okay fair enough yeah. i've seen other i saw others from that particular oh, lead, yeah. i believe that were slanger shirts quote shirts yes so, I mean, yes. so sure. I mean, I don't think you can compare records, and that's why there's all these different variables you can pick out on open powerlifting. So, sure, 24-hour uh, winds versus 2-hour winds, hard to compare. That's why you should just probably stick to, I mean, if you think IPF's the gold standard, then just go off IPF World Records as the world records. Why do you worry about right. what anybody else does?
1: But because I won't get all my likes on Instagram.
0: I mean, who cares? <laughs> Going back to my
1: answer, so what? Um, I will go, go back to the Larry Wheels disciples. That's who cares? Yeah,
0: I guess. Um, you know, I will go back to there was a time in the original WPO. Karen Kidder had a 24 hour WAN. He did that because he wanted all time world record set because he wanted it to be a the, show. The tw- 24, or the 48. I'm sorry. The original WPO had a 48 hour WAN. You weighed in. Two, yeah, that's a, that's a yikes. You weighed in two days before. Um, the original WPO. And that was because Kieran Kidder wanted it to be a show, because he mm-hmm. wanted the lifters to be at ultimately full strength. It's the same argument we're using now, but at a certain yep. point, like, you know, you do have to have some standards. Like, you know, there used to be jokes on the message boards, like, well, I wait in I, I, I wait in now for a meet three months from now. You know, or <laughs> I I mailed in my weight for my next meet. I mean, at a yes. certain point you do have to have some standards, and other sports use 20 far away and so I think that is a standard you can use. And
1: I think 48 hours
0: is too much. Um, I think Did that you was, have somebody
1: come in for essentially a 72-hour weigh-in? Uh,
0: yes, yeah. He, he wanted to weigh in like you know the Wednesday before his Sunday competing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, ultimately, it's the same argument as a lot of other our devil's advocate. I mean, it, it, to me, and I don't want to get into politics, of course, but it's the same type of individuals that think that the government should mandate certain things. Like, who do you, who do you want to – do you want the U.S. government to mandate – Powerlifting, and say you know you you have to have twenty you have to have two hour weigh ins, and you have to have better judging standards, and you shouldn't allow drugs. And there are there are countries that probably do that. Um, that I mean, Fran- France did forever. Yeah, so the IPF is it. Well, South Africa is another one that basically banned yep. the WPC because of drug testing. Yep. I think mainly. Um, I mean, who do you want to enforce to say you know you know like the lifters say we should get rid of Multiply? Like what? Like what do you mean you should get rid of it? Like uh, who are you to say what I? Should be able to pay money and do like. I don't agree with slanger shirts. I think I've been very clear on that. I don't like them. Yeah. But I, do I think they should be banned? I mean, uh, wh- what they, they are banned shirts. <laughs> right. right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what right yeah, do I have there. to say
0: that somebody doesn't go to a meet in South or in uh, North Carolina, put on four slingshots and bench twelve hundred pounds? Like, I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't necessarily. Believe that's the same endeavor that I'm involved in, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. And what what businesses is of mine What somebody else does in their free time?
1: It it comes down to like we have the context of knowing the difference in all this equipment, right? People will say, "Oh, well, the general public just doesn't relate to that." Who the fuck cares? They shouldn't relate. Cares. They don't relate to us anyway. I'm, I'm sitting in upstate New York right now, and I will walk into an office tomorrow, and I like. Every single person goes, "Oh, what'd you eat last night?" Or like, I I, I prep my food because I had a little kitchenette here in my room, and I bring my food in with me because I have a general sense of health. And people give me shit over it, right? And because I'm like, you're different. Because they, they don't they don't relate, and I don't want them to.
0: Right, and you could say you squatted five hundred pounds. You could say you squatted eight hundred pounds. You could say you squatted a thousand pounds. To them. 13-
1: 1310,
0: who cares? Right. It, to them, it, it could be a million pounds. It doesn't mean anything. It, they, have no, right. they have no frame of reference. So if you say, you know, a tw- I, I set the record in the 242s versus 220s versus whatever, that, mean, that doesn't mean anything to most of the general public. So why do you even
1: care? Right. And you know what they're going to do? That means in two weeks they're going to send you that video, that little Asian kid picking up the toy weight set and throwing it down. This is you, kid, right? <laughs>
0: well, and they're going to say, "Oh, are you in the Olympics?" Or they're going to say, "Oh, uh, right. are you, do you go on stage oiled up?" I mean, it, I mean, sometimes but that's a whole different hobby. Yikes! <laughs> wait a minute, Mister Bain. With with that, wait a minute, Mister Bain. Was fun, man. You're not you're not going bodybuilding next, are you? You're, you're not going to go MMA
1: after that, are you? I mean, I might, might try some boxing, you know, maybe some MMA. And then, you know, after that, who knows?
0: Do you uh, do you often eat uh, calamari as a main course? As a main course? No, I don't do that. Do you, Are you going to get on growth and slim?
1: I mean, you never know about that. I can't ever, like, listen. As I said earlier, drugs are fun, so you never know. Okay, perfect. <laughs>
0: perfect. Uh, Both. I think that's probably it for our uh, Band Twenty Four Oans episode, Mister Bane. We're going off on tangents now. Um, we we are we are coming up. Uh, we are working on some more interviews. We are hoping to have one last week. Uh, it didn't. We haven't quite been able to schedule some of the ones we're working on. Um, as yep. mentioned, Mister Carroll is definitely on uh, on the docket. Mister um, Bane, have you been working through your reading assignment of the Anabolics book?
1: Oh my god, this is the driest thing I've read since I was in fucking college. But yes, I have.
0: Perfect. Um, I also have uh, a new ebook, which is a quick read from Mister mm-hmm. Pete Arroyo. Who? Uh, oh, fantastic. Yeah, he he had, he's written a book on his version of conjugate that he would mm-hmm. like us to review, and perhaps we can have him back on to talk about it. Um, he's not released the ebook yet. He has sent it to me basically as a you know um, ooh pre sale yeah uh, you know pre sale to kind of have a look at and then maybe chat with him uh, on another interview to to talk with him about some of the the adaptations he's done to Conjugate. I mean, we talked a little bit about in the episode, but he does have a unique spin on Conjugate, which I think would be interesting to talk about. Um, Mm -hmm. If you like the podcast, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and we always appreciate getting feedback on our Instagram account. Um, Please Mm -hmm. slip into our DMs and uh, provide that feedback. Now, I also like getting feedback in person. I heard uh, from a lifter this weekend, again, who... Talked about how, you know, he had a shrine to Larry Wheels in his uh, college dorm, and he's burned that now. Now, he said none of those things, but he did say he hadn't heard, <laughs> he hadn't heard any of the stuff about Larry Weir- Wheels prior to us talking Mm-mm. about it. So, Larry,
1: Larry Weird is a much better name. I you should start calling him that. Larry Weird? Larry Weird. Larry Weird. Okay. I like a, he's a weird motherfucker, man. Yeah. And it, is it confirmed that he
0: is living in Dubai at this point?
1: Uh, he, he was at one point okay. uh, I do know that for sure but okay. I do not know if he still is there
0: okay interesting um, you can check out our merch store um, we've got the link tree to all of this in our bio um, mm-hmm. so yeah uh, anything else to add Mr. Bain uh, that's coming up or that uh, I, I've I've missed
1: So yeah, definitely uh, working on some interviews. We I think we'll probably have some folks back on the show as well. I know we've talked about uh, uh, Mr. Teen Hero, Bob Merck. I think there's a lot of really uh, there's a lot of meat on the bone physically, and then just with the interviews themselves uh, because they're big dudes. Uh, But also with the merch store, buy some stuff, post it, and maybe you'll win some stuff uh, that we'll just you know well I will just buy Incendia because we would love to see the Strength and Anger logo, the Midwest side, everything that helps support. Because ultimately, what it does is helps support, you know, small business here in America, which we want to keep uh, those strong. Uh, those some others may not want to, and uh, obviously, preach the good word that is uh, Multiply and uh, and everything around the APF.
0: Okay, um, with that, Mr. Bain, I'd say this is Eric Stone signing out.
1: Strength and Anger.